Hey there, it's Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR. Before we get into the next episode, I wanted to ask that you subscribe to the show. It'll help us get even more unique and interesting guests on the podcast and in turn continue to educate management teams and the growing ecosystem that creates value for fast-growing private and public companies. And while you're at it, head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five-star rating. Very much appreciated. One thing I, I often say is the only thing you know for sure the day you close the deal is that your model's wrong. And the key is to make sure that you have more upside opportunities than you have downside risk to capitalize on. Growing private companies have lots of options these days for liquidity. Chief among them, partnering with private equity. With interest rates at historic lows and the pandemic winding down, there isn't a better time to get familiar with the players and understand how they approach investing. People run businesses, all businesses, and so making sure you've got the right partner, the right people, the right alignment um, is critical. That's the best part of the job and the most fun part of the job, and it is by far the hardest part of the job. Being a public company can be hard. Small missteps can have outsized consequences. I'm Tom Ryan, founder and CEO of ICR, and over the last 20 years, we've helped thousands of companies understand and navigate the stock market and the media. We'll demystify these and other increasingly complex stakeholder groups so you can focus on what you do best, building your company, and unlocking your true potential. This is Welcome to the Arena. For many decades, most private equity firms preferred to keep their brands below the radar, shunning attention, particularly from the media. But the pendulum, it's swinging back, largely due to increased competition for deals, for assets, and for great people. Private equity has certainly stepped out into the spotlight. This is good news for business owners who now have more information and options than ever before when evaluating a financial partner. One very experienced PE professional is Dave Taya, head of North America Private Equity for InvestCorp, a firm that manages tens of billions of dollars in alternative investments around the world with five other lines of business besides private equity. Dave's been at InvestCorp for over 20 years and serves on its investment committee as well as the financial and risk management committee. Dave's team operates by leveraging InvestCorp's global platform, and resources to drive growth and value in the companies they invest in. I sat down with Dave to talk about how he evaluates opportunities when deciding which companies to partner with, his perspective on how the private equity game has changed over the years, and the investment strategies his team employs that have helped them successfully weather the pandemic. Let's enter the arena with Dave Taya. I joined investment banking out of business school 25 plus years ago and went to a, a firm called DLJ, which people of our vintage will remember. Great firm. It was a great firm, great experience, great way to learn. So I had about five great years at DLJ and then joined InvestCorp in 99 and did a couple other things along the way. I spent a little over two years as the CFO of Jostens, which was a business uh, that we bought. We took private in the early 2000s. And through kind of a random confluence of events, I uh, wound up joining them. We sold the firm actually to DLJ. So that was a great experience as an operator. 
which I, I think makes you a better investor as well. Uh, and then I also spent several years as a partner at CVC Capital, you know, one of the mega cap and, and leading firms in private equity globally, and then have been back at InvestCorp uh, running our business here for about seven years. I think it's amazing that you've actually been an operator, you know, worked at a company um, at a high level. What are the little tiny things that you learned from that experience that make you kind of a better investor in your role with InvestCorp? Number one is humility. It's incredibly difficult to run a business day to day. And businesses are not run uh, in boardrooms or, or just financial models. Of course, those are important components, but really appreciating the day to day moving an organization. At the time, I think Justin's had 14 facilities. It does class rings and high school yearbooks and graduation products, people all around the country, a thousand-ish sales reps, et cetera, and getting an organization to buy into the mission, vision, values, but then execute every day is really a, a terrific accomplishment. And, and it gave me a much better appreciation for how much you can't know on the outside. So really focus on where can you impact, where can you add value, where can you help your partners on that executive team. But humility was number one. Yeah. It's like easy to grow a business on a spreadsheet. Everything goes up and to the right. Exactly. Um, it's <laughs> so funny. It. <laughs> um, so, you know, with that experience in hand and like you had an uh, amazing time at DLJ and, and CVC, and here you are now running North America PE for InvestCorp, where does private equity fit within InvestCorp? And for people who don't know, maybe just describe the whole organization and how you guys fit in. At the top level, InvestCorp is an alternatives, global alternatives uh, asset manager. We've been in business for 40 years um, and we operate really in three main asset classes, private equity, real estate, and credit. In private equity, we're middle market growth investors in North America, and we focus exclusively on, on six uh, service verticals uh, where we look for a combination of attributes. But as you can imagine, as growth investors, we want sectors that have positive tailwinds, and we often partner with founders in an effort to help them accelerate their growth providing both capital, but also the experiences that we've had across other industries and businesses. Yeah, it's funny. You, um, you always hear how uh, private equity wants to partner with founders. For all the private companies that might be listening to this podcast, why do you look for that? Like, What, what makes that different than just going into uh, maybe a multi-generational business or a hired gun as the CEO? What's the difference there for you guys? Maybe the best way I can articulate is give an example. Every business we buy, whether it's a professional services business or an industrial services business, we deploy the same criteria and we kind of start with industry, size, growth rate, um, competitive intensity, et cetera. And then we turn to the company. And at the company, we ask ourselves a simple question, does this business have a reason to exist over the next 10 or 20 years? And if so, what's their position in, in the marketplace? And here's where I get to the answer of your question. A lot of times what we'll find is the businesses that perform the best, they may not be the biggest, but they have the best growth rates, they have the best margin, the best return on capital, the best retention, the best hiring, et cetera. And the common denominator oftentimes is culture. And that culture is created by a founder that gets built up over 10, 20, 30 years. And that's really hard to replicate. And when we find businesses and spaces that we like, with founder partners that are like-minded and have built this culture that's really special and hard to replicate, we run very hard and aggressively to do that investment. Yeah. 
I think um, it's really hard to, to build anything. I always run into people and, you know, they might have an ice cream stand or they're a sole proprietor, but like they're out there doing it, you know, and you got to respect anybody who's built anything, you know. So, you know, what, what strikes me in this environment, Dave, is there's so much money sloshing around. There's so many private equity firms. What makes you guys different? What do you bring to the table that others might not be able to? It's a really important question. Uh, and it is a competitive world. and There's a lot of smart and talented people in this space. We're very focused on our verticals. Every one of our six verticals, we have pretty deep shadow portfolios, pipelines, et cetera, full teams dedicated to the verticals. And we try and and know really where we want to focus and why, and from there identify specific companies. But at the end of the day, even a proprietary deal, even where there's technically, you know, no quote unquote competition, there's two reasons that I think a seller chooses somebody to work with. And they may be in varying proportions depending on the situation. But number one is who can help me add the most value to my business over time? And that gets to the depth and substance of, do you really know what you're focused on? Do you really know the industry? Can you actually help the CEO and his or her team create more value with you than without you? That's number one. And number two is who do I want to work with? Who do I like the most? We're private equity investors. We're not picking public stocks going to spend a lot of time with our partners over a period of time. And we're going to deal with tough things like COVID. And so really getting comfortable both ways that we're going to be great partners is the other critical dimension. And as I said, in any deal, those things may be one's a little higher, one's a little lower. But when you slice through it, what I've found over a long period of time is it's usually those two dimensions. Of course, price is important. And sometimes you have to pay the highest price. Sometimes you don't. Again, that's very dependent. But those other two dimensions, I think, are more important. Yeah. Having a f- industry focus is so huge rather than just being scattered and all over the place. Maybe you can expand a little bit on those industries that you're focused on. Sure. As I mentioned, we invest in six verticals, all services. So if you think high value add, high growth, white collar services, tech enabled services, uh, data and information, and professional services are the three white collar. And then the other three verticals are industrial services supply chain services. We've done a lot in distribution logistics over the past 20 odd years. And then we have a specialty consumer focus, which includes areas like residential home services. We owned a business called Wrench, for example, as well as specialty healthcare. We're, We're investors and partners with a founder in a business called Health Plus. Those are the six verticals we focus on. Yeah, I think uh, Wrench, from what I know about it, is such a cool case study because the company was kind of invented by just a putting together a couple of small ones and then became a platform and you brought in the right team and you helped them grow and you gave them advice. And it really created a ton of value for everybody from management to you guys to all the stakeholders involved, right? Very much. Yeah. We invested in Q1 of 2016. It was three small companies with some common ownership, but really run independently. We really liked the space, big, fragmented, stable, lots of growth opportunities, we only own, owned it for 37 months, which is on the short end for us, but given the performance, uh, that enabled us to monetize early. But you're right, we elevated Ken Haynes, who was running the Atlanta business to be the corporate CEO. And over the course of our investment period, you know, with our help and assistance, Ken really built out a world-class team, you know, CEO, CFO, COO, head of IT, head of training, CMO, and grew double-digit organically, completed four acquisitions, and really built an enterprise. Um, so the business and our ownership period more than doubled. It has since more than doubled again since we've exited, which we also love to see. You know, we 
we care about the success of businesses that we invest in and the people that we work with well beyond uh, our ownership period. So yeah, that was a terrific uh, investment, but a terrific company as well. Another thing that I think was certainly on my mind as a an owner of a company, I think, is leverage. And the private equity playbook, a lot of times uh, you'll get a ton of leverage put on the company and um, that can work out and it can be great. Or sometimes it's a real nail biter going to bed every night. What's your uh, philosophy on leverage, particularly with service companies? We do not max leverage. And it's an area where pre-COVID, we didn't really get much credit for it. But our, our view is on average, we'll take one to two turns less of EBITDA in debt than the market will bear. And to be really clear, we're not seeding return. We still have the same return thresholds, but we're making growth investments. So we want to deploy that extra flexibility for M&A, for group hiring, um, for product or service investments, et cetera. And I, no exaggeration, you know, within the, the 10 days of the shutdown in, in March of 2020, got calls from three different of our CEOs thanking us profusely for not putting more leverage on the business. And that really enabled us for the most part to be able to, to weather the storm extremely well in the toughest time of the, of the onset of the pandemic, but also to play offense. We made key hires. We did M&A you know, throughout 2020, even in the early part of the shutdown. And we're middle market, right? We're not buying mega cap firms where they're just much, much larger, much more diverse, et cetera. So we think it um, is prudent and on a risk-adjusted basis, we're getting you know adequately compensated. Historically, private equity has been a little frightened of people businesses. And I know you guys have a really high comfort level when you find the right thing. Interesting, going through COVID, you came out of it great in you know largely people businesses where you had modest leverage. It kind of takes me to 2021. I know you guys issued some news today. So may maybe just tell people about how you guys came out of 2020 and how 2021 was for you. And, and I think it's important, not just for the sake of beating your chest, but more like, hey, you know, this is how we help companies create value because you just had like a gangbuster year. Yeah, thanks. And, and again, I'll start with the humility of it's a, a total team effort, starting with the, the CEOs and the leaders of the companies that we partner with. Um, because across every company we invested in, we all had an agreement on the approach for 20 and 21. Again, number one, protect the employees. And we had a lot of businesses who never shut. Our supply chain, industrial type businesses never shut. We're an investor in a food distribution business, never shut. But we were able to continue to grow almost without exception at above market rates through the portfolio, through great leadership, key hiring, some really strategic M&A. We did a lot of add-ons uh, across the portfolio last year. And also we're able to to realize significant returns on several of our deals for our investors, which is great and important. And at the same time, have been able to find uh, new investments as well. And it really is a function of, obviously the market conditions have been good. So again, Tom, you and I have been around long enough to, to know markets will wax and wane. So stay focused and stick to your knitting, which we've done, but we feel like we were positioned really well to capitalize on it on behalf of our investments. All businesses ebb and flow, but the scramble we've seen over the last couple of years to inflate the economy feels unprecedented. With so much uncertainty here at home, coupled with what's happening in the macro environment, 
I asked Dave if his return outlook or expectations have changed and how he's approaching the search for great companies to invest in right now. The simple description I'll give you is we definitely focus on it. Um, we're not market timers, and we really try and apply the macro to the micro and to the micro in a very detailed way around specific asset, not just a, a sector or a subsector. I'll give you an example. Right before this, we have our, our weekly uh, investment team meeting, and we're talking about putting in a, a bid on a business that one of the key questions is just how cyclical will it be? And you know, we made the point that the odds of a recession are higher today over the next couple of years than they were six months ago, just given what's happened in the market and given the tightening that's already started just through the, the elimination of the QE. So we absolutely do. But I would also say, part of why I think we have a great market and a great business is we're investors in these six verticals, but we really tie that to themes. You know, you, know, you hear a lot about thematic investing these days. There's a lot of ways to describe it. But for us, it's what are those big mega trends or what are those big secular tailwinds that are going to drive, positive or negative, by the way, depending on the specifics, going to drive opportunities or risk going forward. And I think our business, particularly in the middle market where we play, we've still got a great runway of investment opportunities in the middle market driven by demographics, right? The baby boomers, the youngest baby boomers are late 50s. Um, so, you know, late 50s to early 70s, and there's still tremendous amount of private company ownership held by the baby boomers who are going to figure out their estate planning over the next decade plus. Not that we only do investments with founders, but that's a, a meaningful part uh, of our target market. Yeah. So despite the ups and downs of the market, we think there's a great long-term secular tailwind that, that we can continue to, to benefit from if we stay focused on our verticals and our key criteria. Yeah. And listen, there's, there's never been an easier time to start a business. I mean, you know, fast forward 20 years, it's like, you know what, you have Google Docs, you got everything. You know, when, when, when I started, you know, you're exactly. making phone calls and like, who's buying the office furniture, you know, you don't even need an office anymore. So here's a good question for you. Every job is part art and part science. What's the science part of being like a great PE professional and what's the art part? The science part is you know, everything you know from your background too around valuation, um, industry due diligence, figuring out how to really understand the economics of a business, where they make money, what the levers are, how variable are things or how volatile can things be, how much operating leverage versus financial leverage, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a lot of great science and it continues to get better and more efficient, both through technology, but all through, also through people. If I go back to when you and I you know, started, it's certainly a lot more evolved and advanced than it was the ability to create analysis so much more quickly and access things. The art part is um, for sure the harder part, and that's applying the judgment to all that analysis that you have and what can it tell you. And you know, there's no, I would say virtually no business, particularly in the middle market that you look at, and there's not some real questions um, about how things will unfold. One thing I, I often say is the only thing you know for sure the day you close the deal is that your model's wrong, right? Because we build these 50-page models, they go out five or 10 years, and they build by location and service and price and volume, et cetera, et cetera. Well, business is dynamic, markets are dynamic, and the key is to make sure that you have more upside opportunities than you have downside risk to capitalize on. And then you bring that all together with, you know, do you have the right partner? People run businesses all businesses 
And so making sure you've got the right partner, the right people, the right alignment is critical. And that's that's the best part of the job and the most fun part of the job. And it is by far the hardest part of the job. Yeah. And I think the art part is also like, who's in your network? You know, do the right thing. You started the podcast talking about humility, which you can only get until you've been in your job for 25 years, right? Because you've just been knocked around and, you know, people have been disingenuous and you see everything. And I think in your position, what I think you're good at is being there right away, just doing the right thing. Obviously, you're professional investors and you're not going to lose money, but how are we going to work on a problem? That tells you a lot about how somebody operates. And I think when you're a CEO looking to sell your business, that's really a a huge concern. You want somebody who gets what it's like to run a company and things don't always go the right way. Exactly. And you know, the good news is in our industry, we're easy to check out. Anybody could call one of our CEOs that we've worked with currently or, or formally and ask, you know, how are we to work and, and vice versa, right? Again, it goes to the partnership is critical. How's PE changed in the last 20 years or 25 years since you got in the business? It's definitely more institutionalized. The growth has been, you know, just tremendous. I don't think anybody would have predicted, even the guys who are the, the big mega cap guys, if you asked them 20 years ago, my guess is they wouldn't have guessed they'd be as big as they are today. And I think it's because, A, some of those demographic trends I mentioned, you know, I do think there are big secular tailwinds. Um, we also can't ignore, you know, 30 years of declining interest rates as obviously good for our asset class. And as a result, the overall societal economics as well, alternative investments in PE and real estate in particular have proven very valuable to the pension plans and, and the long-term investors who, who are trying to create returns that have been really tough to do given where the, the risk-free rates are. So I think for all those reasons, it's enabled or, or in part driven PE becoming much more institutionalized and a little bit more specialized. As you said, if you don't have some industry focus or focus areas, I think it's much harder today than it was 20 years ago where most firms were generalists. You know, similar in some ways to how banking evolved. Bankers before PE had to get much more industry specific to to be competitive. And same for us. Yeah. I think another interesting um, change was the transparency or the willingness to get out there and kind of tell the story. PE to me in the old days was just kind of shrouded in secrecy and you didn't want a website. You didn't want anybody to know what you were doing. And now there's competition for great people coming out of business school. There's competition for deals. There's competition for assets. You're being kind of pushed out of the nest to tell the story on behalf of InvestCorp, which is a great thing. Don't you think that's a trend that's going to continue with all of these uh, private equity firms continuing to compete for those assets and people and deal flow? Yes. Yes, you're 100% right. And And again, I think it's another really tangible example of the institutionalization Um, Because you're right, when I started doing anything, you know, publicly PR um, type was definitely frowned upon of no interest and it's completely changed today because of all the reasons you said. And I also think just the advent and the explosion of communications in every form and every medium has made it more important to make sure that you do figure out how to differentiate in a crowded marketplace. Uh, So for sure. With years of experience, both inside a company as CFO and as an investor, Dave and his team in InvestCorp were making a promising case for prioritizing the people factor in their strategies. 
Specifically, he's learned that a great company culture, more often than not, serves as a great foundation for a great investment. I guess my last question would be, and we're sitting here in February of, uh, of 2022, what's your outlook for the New York Yankees uh, this coming season? World Series or bust. <laughs> as it is every year. <laughs> yeah, I'm not taking the over yet. Another big thank you to Dave Taya from InvestCorp for joining me on the podcast today. There's so much to learn from his 20 plus years in the business and how he and his team work with management teams every day to create shareholder value. I hope you all got as much out of this conversation as I did as private equity as an asset class continues to explode. We'll see you next time back in the arena. Welcome to the arena. We're working really hard to bring you exciting guests and great content. If you found this episode insightful, subscribe to the show on your podcast app and leave us a five-star rating. The more the show grows, the more interesting voices we can have on the podcast. And in turn, that should demystify a lot of the stakeholders around public companies and soon to be public companies. Thanks for listening. Another big thank you to Dave Taya from InvestCorp for joining me on the podcast today. There's so much to learn from his 20 plus years in the business and how he and his team work with management teams every day to create shareholder value. I hope you all got as much out of this conversation as I did as private equity as an asset class continues to explode. I'm your host, Tom Ryan. We'll see you next time back in the arena. References to specific stocks are not intended to be recommendations for specific trading behavior. Comments presented on this podcast are intended for informational and educational purposes only, and do not represent opinions or recommendations on whether to buy, sell, or hold shares of a particular stock. All investors are advised to conduct their own independent research into individual stocks before making a trading decision. In addition, investors are advised that past stock performance is no guarantee of future price performance.